0: Um, last week, we uh, talked about life together. And if you're going to live life together, there's going to ha- come a time where you're going to have to forgive. And um, and then we looked at Peter turning to Jesus and say, Okay, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive somebody? Like, seven times? Is that good? And Jesus came back and said, No, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. And, um, and the idea there is, is that I don't want you to count how many times you forgive. I want you to live a new way. And we looked at last week and we heard that forgiveness can be summarized in a story. You owe and I'll pay. It is a commitment of saying, I'm not going to demand paybacks I'm not going to go the way of revenge or retribution. I'm giving up on that way of life. Forgiveness is the opposite of revenge. Brian Zahn writes, um, who is a pastor and writer, he, he writes about the dispute between two of his church members. The, the disagreement was a little convoluted, but one person was adamant that the other person owed them $500 and that person was refusing to pay. And so they were coming to... He was The person was coming to the pastor saying, You've got to do something. You've got to come down. You've got to tell this person they're wrong. You've got to kick them out of the church. You've got to do something. Brian listened a little bit more to the details. And it seemed a little bit convoluted. And he's listening to all of this. And he finally decided... So, the big issue here is, is that you're owed $500. Tell you what. I'll give you the $500. Bucks and then you go forgive this person for what they did to you. And he was, it was living out of that sense of conviction that, okay, this is the way of Jesus. You owe, I'll pay. Somebody owes you, let me pay that. The person got mad. <laughs> And left the church. It wasn't just about getting their money back. They wanted retribution. They wanted more than just a payback. They wanted the other person to suffer. And um, this, is, this is actually Brian's own words. He said, the person wanted to stick it to someone that he didn't like and make them squirm. He wanted them to be humiliated. He wanted the authority figure to lower the boom. The Christian idea of forgiveness is not revenge or retribution or giving back more than what was taken. The call is to turn the other cheek. It is refusing to return violence with violence. It is letting go of bitterness, anger, resentment, and malice. But do we just keep letting them take advantage or worse do harm and perpetrate evil i mean i hear that we're supposed to forgive but do we trust a serial repeat offender with the keys to the kingdom or worse our children is jesus asking us to be a doormat where we just let people walk all over us do we let is jesus calling us to be a doormat Here's the thing, I think the answer to this question is no, but yes. I think that there is a tension. You are not a doormat. You are beloved. You are a child of God. But Jesus also says, you belong to me and now I call you and you are a minister of reconciliation. So no, you're not a doormat. But there's going to be times where if you really want to follow me and do what I want you to do, you're going to willingly lay down so that other people can walk across you so that they can come into life. Today we're going to talk beyond forgiveness on this issue of reconciliation. Because beyond the mere act of forgiving is this beautiful miracle called reconciliation. Forgiveness is something that we can do all on our own. I can make a choice. I may never see the person again. I may not have the opportunity to, but I can let go of the bitterness. I can let go of the sense of revenge. I can be committed to the idea. They owe, but I'll pay, and I'm dealing with it. Reconciliation requires the cooperation of the other person. And I want to put forward to you, Jesus calls us always to forgive. But he also calls us always to forgive with the hope of reconciliation. I had a few different people come up to me right after the message last week. And they wanted to talk about this issue of forgiveness. And they, you know, I can forgive the person. But do I have to see them again? I can forgive them, but do I have to trust them? And I and I said, I said, I'm so glad you came and talked to me. And 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 just so you know, this is why this week we're doing reconciliation because there's the reality of forgiveness, but beyond forgiveness, there's another process, and it's a little harder. And one of the things that I would tell you is is that. As we try to move forward, and and we're going to hear this call from Jesus to be ministers of reconciliation. It's not always going to be easy. And Jesus isn't intending us to do this all on our own. Sometimes we're going to need Christians who will walk alongside us and help us figure out kind of, what does it look like in this situation? But, when the people came forward, I said... I think even beyond forgiveness, he's calling you to reconciliation. And it may be challenging and difficult and hard, and you may not want to do it. But also there's limits to what we're talking about here, about what reconciliation means. And, um, you know, and this is the part where if you have a situation in your life right now that's really broken, um, you know, hopefully the message today will inspire you. But don't think that just when you hear a message in 30 minutes, it'll give you all the answers. You may want to talk to somebody that you trust who's a Christian, who you ask into this situation and kind of try to help. How do we move forward? Um, We are called to always forgive, but we are also called to always hope for reconciliation. Our first scripture passage today comes from 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. Paul is writing to um, Christians in the city of Corinth. And um, they've had trouble getting along. There's breaks in relationships. The church is divided. And he is calling them. And there's also other things going involved where they just think that some of the things that Paul does is foolish and out of his mind. And, and right here, the grace of Jesus Christ seems foolish and out of your mind. Um, and then Paul's writing to them and he says, okay. Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he, Jesus, died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And Paul begins this and he says, okay, so we're living a life of love. And it is a life of love where we've been loved and we've been loved so much that we've been given a new life. This life doesn't just belong to us anymore. I mean, if we really trust in Jesus, now Jesus has our life. And so then he goes on and he says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. This is a new beginning. This is a new life. This is a new start. And when it comes to the issue of conflicts, and when it comes to the issue of justice and forgiveness, and what do you do with somebody who is done you wrong and evil. We no longer regard each other from a worldly point of view. We look at them through the eyes of Christ. The new is come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Um, this word for reconciliation it, it, it is a new creation word. It is picturing something that has been restored, remade, renewed, um, changed, transformed. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now the primary focus of this ministry is that we get to come along in people's lives and help them realize that they have a new opportunity to be in relationship with the living God. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. You owe, but I will pay. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God. God bade him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this becomes the foundation where it says, okay, if so, if God has done all of this for us, we can do the very same thing for one another and we should be seeking reconciliation with one another. If we're going to... Understand if we're going to respond to the call to participate in this ministry of reconciliation, I want to put forward to you that we have to understand gospel justice. The most common type of justice that we're familiar with is retributive justice. If you break something, you're going to need to pay for it. You're going to need to restore it. You broke it. You should fix it. Now, I've given you this analogy in in this series. We're like porcupines learning to dance. We are going to hurt one another. Sometimes inadvertently, sometimes advertently. We're going to poke somebody. It is complicated for us human beings to be in community and to get along. All you have to do is turn on the news right now. Our country is divided. Sometimes when things get broken, we have no idea the cost. Now, retributive justice says, okay, you broke it, you have to pay for it, but you only have to pay for it. We're not talking about revenge. We're not talking about doubling down. We're not going to exact more than what you owe. The old form of retributive justice, because it understood the human cycle of revenge, was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a an hand. And it's not, okay, you took a hand, so we're going to take your life. That was the idea. It was fair. Some things can't be restored. What do we do then? And this is the part where, in this call of doing retributive justice, that this this beginning part... There is always this tension. Well, wait a second. This isn't right. This isn't fair. This per- I'm going to forgive this person, but they did this. Oh, and they have to pay. Oh. So I, I want to ask you a question. When you hear the word justice, what do you think of? And I want you to share that with somebody sitting around you. When you hear the word justice, What do you think of? What people come up with? Shout out some things. Accountability, justice, okay, accountability. Fair. Fairness. Fairness. Returning things to right. You you you, you, <laughs> you you get what you deserve. Justice League. <laughs> Thank you, John. Justice League. The longer Zack Snyder cut, please, but um, okay, so um, here's my guess is that when we hear this word justice we probably mostly go to the retributive justice pictures payback setting things and such of correcting things uh, maybe even a little bit of you know like it's a court of law sort of thing I think most of us function when we hear the term justice we think of it Retributively, we think of it in some way like the Old Testament version of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, which is fairness. I want to put forward to you that when we come into the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're called to something higher than retributive justice. We are called into gospel justice. The biblical word that typically could be translated justice also gets translated as righteousness. And um, it also gets translated as justify or, or justification. It's, in Greek, it's dikao, in that word group. And, but this is a part where, from the biblical idea, I, I, I want to give you this picture that gospel justice is about righteousness. It's about doing right, but it's also about making things right and setting things right and getting things right and and i and i and, and right is about goodness it's a, it's it's about what's flourishing beautiful true it corresponds with reality jesus calls us to this sort of justice he calls us to righteousness but a righteousness that surpasses retributive justice In the gospel of Jesus Christ there is a tension between forgiveness and justice and that tension between somebody paying and the unfairness of somebody breaking is resolved through the cross where Jesus says you owe and I'll pay. The biblical idea of justice is setting things right getting things right and the fundamental goal of gospel justice is reconciling sinners to God. The most important thing are we human beings. And Jesus died so that we could be made in right relationship with him again. And the call to be made in right relationship with God also has along with it that then we might be in right relationship together. We get the sinner back in right relationship with God, and then we get back in right relationship with one another. A right relationship is one that works, but it's also one that's good. It's one that you feel good about being in relationship. As I said earlier, this word for reconciliation, it's katalasin, is about transformation and renewal. Paul sits here and he says, Do you realize what's happened to you in Jesus Christ? You are a new creation. The Holy Spirit has come and he now lives inside of you and he is making you new from the inside and out. And you stand in a new relationship with God. God reconciled you to himself, he has transformed the relationship and it's not the old relationship marked by sin or wrath or death, but it is now a new relationship. You owe, I'll pay. Now, this is important. We're in a new relationship. But reconciliation always includes repentance. Repentance is not the condition of forgiveness, but repentance is the evidence of transformation. So, you're in a new relationship with God. You are no longer a slave to sin. You no longer live for sin. the evidence of that is that you used to be heading this way, which was going the way of sin. And then you've come across Jesus. And now, I don't want to go this way. This way is death. This way is terrible. It's evil. It's wrong. It's dark. And so you turn around and you start following Jesus. And that is repentance. And where there is no repentance, there is no reconciliation. Because you're still in the old. You're not in the new. If we do not turn away from sin, we have not repented. And without repentance, reconciliation is impossible. Reconciliation requires the cooperation of two people. The forgiver and the forgiven. The forgiver is willing to say, You owe all pay. But the forgive in says, thank you, and I'm no longer living that life that I used to live where I did that wrong to you. And if the person is unwilling to get to the place where they actually repent, then reconciliation is impossible. Now, the ministry of reconciliation is primarily about us coming and helping people get their relationship with God right. But part of how we prove the reality of reconciliation, that it is possible for you to enter into a new relationship with God, is that of course we practice that with one another. If I've been forgiven so much, I can forgive you. But with, we, with us human beings, it gets a little more complicated let me read for you Romans twelve seventeen through 21. which, If, if you understand what's going on in Paul's letter to the Romans, there's a bunch of Jewish Christians and a bunch of Gentile Christians who are not reconciled to one another right now. They're not getting along. And Paul has spent 11 chapters telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ and how this good news has changed us. And then in chapter 12, he gets to the place where he starts talking about how we now live. And in chapter 12, beginning in verse 17, he says this do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do as what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And the biblical idea of peace is rich. It it doesn't just point to the idea that you're not arguing. It's pointing to the idea that you're actually getting along. The relationships are flourishing. Life is flourishing. As far as it is possible, as it depends upon you, live in flourishing relationships with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. I'm not in the business of paying back anymore. God deals with that. On the contrary, this is what you are to do. If, you, if your enemy is hungry, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and maybe, just maybe, it will lead him to repentance. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you know what evil has to do to win? Evil gets done, but evil hasn't won yet. When the other person then turns around and then does evil back, evil wins. But you and I have the opportunity to break the power of evil by following in the way of Jesus. Always forgiving and always trying to move towards reconciliation. Now, our primary focus of the ministry of reconciliation is to help people come in right relationship with God. But... One of the ways that we prove that's possible and we demonstrate it is how we practice reconciliation with one another. With God, it's always easy. There is the forgiver and the forgiven. God never does anything wrong. And so he's always the one, the Bible says, who reconciles us to himself. But with one another, it's a little more convoluted. When there is a break in relationship, it is probably a good idea for you to say probably... I have a little something here that needs to be forgiven even as I know this person has wronged me in this way and they, and they need to repent from what they've done. And as we practice reconciliation with one another, there needs to be a commitment to mutual forgiveness as well as mutual repentance. Now listen to this. If one party refuses to repent, you can't be reconciled. As far as it is possible for you to live at peace with everyone, living at peace does not mean letting evil have its way. If someone is committed to doing evil, you shouldn't trust them and you can't be reconciled to what they're doing. You can be polite to them, you can wish them well, but you also may need to create healthy boundaries and set up some situations or do something because this is wrong and this, is, and this shouldn't happen. Um, how do we know if somebody has repented? God can see the heart, but you and I can't. So, forgiveness is always given, reconciliation is always desired, but trust is earned over time. Repentance is something that gets demonstrated. Because we can't see the other person's heart, it means that this is going to be something where this, process, this reconciliation is a process that takes time where the repentance has to be shown we were talking about this on thursday as doing the run through for the message for this week and patrick grover gave a great picture that he'd heard from a christian counselor so there's two people they're in relationship and one of the people comes up and ends up stomping on the other person's feet says oh i'm sorry and the other person says oh i forgive you it's fine and then the next time they come up they stomp on the person's feet again and they say, oh, I'm sorry. And the other person says, it's fine. And then the next time they meet together, the person then stomps on their feet again and says, oh, I'm sorry. And the other person says, I forgive you. And then the next time the person comes up and the other person says, stand right there. <laughs> what, what, didn't you forgive me? Yeah, I forgave you for those past things, but I don't trust you yet. Trust is not easily given. It's earned. Jesus proves that he's trustworthy by dying on the cross for us. As we interact with people and we want to move towards reconciliation, there has to be the real evidence of repentance. This is the part where God is not asking us to put ourselves in situations that allow people to continue to perpetrate evil. There's a place for healthy boundaries. There's a place for saying no. Now, Until the person gives up the evil we can't be reconciled. But if they can come and see what they are doing is wrong and they repent from it then this relationship that is broken down can be restored. I want you to never lose sight of the dream. We are called to be ministers of reconciliation because when reconciliation happens it is beautiful. You see the God's goal of gospel justice is not punishment. The goal of real righteousness is is reconciliation. It is setting this relationship right. It may be Jesus' most famous story. This is exactly where there was point of tension. There's a father and he has two sons. And the one son goes off and squanders all of his inheritance and while living. The son comes back and he has nothing. His plan is for him to become a servant in the household because, well, the servants in his father's household eats better than what he was eating. But when the son comes back, the father sees his son and he is ecstatic. His son was dead and is alive again. He was gone and he's back. And because this father is an image of God, of course he forgives. You owe I'll pay. He extends forgiveness. The overwhelming love of the father touches the young son's heart. He accepts the gracious gift of being brought back into the family. And he understands, I'm no longer going to be a slave, but I'm going to live as a son. Here is the beginning of repentance. I have a whole new relationship now. And I'm going to live according to that relationship. But the older brother comes back and the grace and forgiveness of the father feels like injustice. If you get into the details of of this story, for the elder brother, payback was more important than relationship. When I first shared this, Ben asked me the question, he goes, what's the payback issue? And I said, well, you see, what's going on in the story is, is that The father gave the inheritance to the younger son. He took one third of all of his stuff and he liquidated it and gave it to his son and his son squandered it. The older brother looks at this and he knows that everything that's left will one day be his once his father dies. And all the stuff right now that you're using, the blessing, actually should belong to me. He's done wrong. He broke the rules. He should pay. He owes. That's mine. The father looks down and what he sees is a broken relationship and he sees now the opportunity for restoration. The older brother looks down and he sees broken rules and he sees the opportunity for payback. If our goal is to achieve perfect fairness through retributive justice, we're going to have a hard time getting along with Jesus. I mean, if you've never—I remember the first time that I heard the parable of the eleventh-hour workers. And if you're not familiar with the story, it starts out, and the 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 landowner goes out and he calls people to work for him for a day's wage, and he goes out in the morning and he brings the workers in, and he keeps going and he's bringing more workers. And then he gets all the way and he's still at the 11th hour, close to the end of the day of work. He brings in a group of workers and then it comes to pay and he pays the group that was the last ones to work first. Maybe actually, you know, he pays the other ones that they got there who first said they'd work. And then they're standing there and they see that the landowner gave the 11th hour workers the same pay that he'd given those who worked all day. And I hated that story. I was like, this is so unfair. What's going on? If you want fairness, then you're asking for retributive justice. And if you want retributive justice, it's not going to go well. What God wants to give us is grace. He wants to give us what we don't deserve. And that's the picture. (laughs) Here's some and... You know, they receive their pay and they're all upset that the landowner is gracious. We're going to have a hard time getting along with Jesus if what we demand is retributive justice and fairness. We're going to become the Pharisaical older brother who, when the younger brother returns, we're going to be standing outside of the party pouting and raging. That this, this brother of mine who was lost and now dead is back because I just want him to pay. Getting what you deserve is something that Jesus allows. But it's not what he wants to give us. You see, we need to go further. The cross of Jesus Christ is not the triumph of payback. What we normally mean by retributive justice it is a place where ultimate injustice is undone by costly forgiveness. Where in the face of injustice and evil and malice and sin, father, Jesus looks up to his father and says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The cross is the place where we do not get what we deserve where retributive judgment is passed over in face of sacrificial love and costly forgiveness. It is a place where justice gets reinterpreted by mercy so that gospel justice can become reconciliation. It's where grace and truth meet and where justice and peace kiss. There is evil and there is sin and it is wrong and it has to be paid for. And we do no good in any situation where we claim that evil isn't evil. But in the end, it's about what God has done to overcome evil by stretching out his arms on a cross and paying for what we have done. It is a place where mercy triumphs over judgment. Because the son abandoned his right to justice and instead asked his father to forgive. Thinking about reconciliation. And what I want to do is I want to inspire you. We're called to this ministry. It is a miracle, it is a mystery, it is the place of salvation, it is the way of Jesus Christ. It's not going to feel easy, sometimes it's going to feel impossibly hard, and it is absolutely good. Nelson Mandela taught the world a lesson in gospel justice. After emerging from prison, a prison sentence of 27 years, where he was unjustly imprisoned. He was elected president of South Africa. On the day of his inauguration, he asked his jailer to join him on the platform. And he knew, in order to heal that country, something radical was going to have to be done. And it was going to have to be the radical forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ that would melt the hearts of all the wrongs that had been done in their country And so he appointed Archbishop Desmond Tutu to head an official government panel with the daunting name Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And over the next two and a half years, the world was able to witness something quite spectacular. If you were somebody who had committed wrong, and it was almost always the case where this was a white person who had done atrocities to black people, if you were willing to admit what you had done and ask forgiveness to the people that you had done it to, you would be forgiven and you would not have to pay anything back. A lot of people thought that you know, this was you know injustice, unfair. How can you let these people get away? They need to pay. But Mandela and Tutu said, no, no, we've got to do this this way. I remember the first time I heard this story, and I'll, and I'll tell you, it, it just still, I, I don't know if I'll be able to get through this. At one hearing, a policeman named Van de Broek recounted an incident when he and other officers shot an 18 year old boy and burned the body. They burned the body on a fire pit like they were barbecuing the meat, they were doing it on a purpose to destroy the evidence. Eight years later, Vanderbroek returned to the very same house, seized the boy's father, forced the wife to watch as they bound her husband on a wood pile, poured gasoline over his body, ignited it, and did the same thing to the dad. He's admitting this at the Truth and, Commission, uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission before the woman who had lost her husband And her son. Before. After he recounted. The judge asked the question. What do you want from Mr. Vanderbrock?" She said she wanted Vanderbrock to go to the place where they burned her husband's body. And gather up the dust so that she could give him a decent burial. His head held down. The policeman nodded in agreement. And then she added this request. Mr. Vanderbrock, you took all my family away from me, but I still have a lot of love to give. Twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto and spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. And I would like Mr. Vanderbrock to know that he is forgiven by God and that I can forgive him too. And I'd like to embrace him right now so that he can feel the forgiveness. And spontaneously, the courtroom broke out in amazing grace because they knew they had witnessed something of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And I'm going to guess that you and I will probably never have to do something quite that dramatic There's probably some broken relationships in your life right now that haven't been reconciled, that are just left hanging. And you can't, as much as it's able to you, you can try, but there's going to be some times where the people won't repent, they won't respond. There'll be nothing that you can do to retrieve that relationship. But you never know what God can do. And it is a beautiful thing. When relationships are restored, when people who had been married or children with parents who hadn't talked for years or decades, finally they'll be able to come back together and they can know that there's love. We're always called to forgive, we're always to hope for reconciliation. We may not always see it happen we can try. Will you pray with me?